the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Uh, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, He went into the temple courts. Uh, When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Before we come to communion, I'd like to just share a few thoughts about that story. It may be it's a story that you've heard quite often. Uh, It may be that it's not. Um, I think of of all the sort of Christmas stories, uh, and I guess we can kind of roll this one in as a Christmas story, It's not one that we probably hear um, that often. I guess it was a normal day at the temple. I would imagine it was busy. I would imagine that it would have been easy to miss this young family who, with their only child, had arrived at the temple. It was a common enough sight, surely. Mary had recently given birth to her first child, and now just a few weeks later... This young family traveled to Jerusalem to dedicate their firstborn son, Jesus, to God. As we learned in the story, it was law and custom for a woman to present herself at the temple around 40 days after giving birth. Leviticus chapter 12 provides a little bit of detail for us. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. So it's clear, isn't it? As as we look at the story, we discover that here is a family 
that couldn't afford the lamb. Here is a family that goes um, to do that simple offering. And yet, it's significant. It's nonetheless significant because of what they chose. This was the moment of dedicating the firstborn to the Lord God, something that they had been waiting expectantly to do, part of their worship, a moment of thankfulness to God. In an article published in the New York Times at the start of 2022, Jeremy Green, the professor of medicine at the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, outlined something of the impact of what the few years that we have been through has had on the lives of people across the globe. He says, what we are living through now is a cycle of collective dismay. And as we've been through the season of Advent, as we've arrived to Christmas and as we've moved on into the new year, we've considered this idea of waiting, haven't we? We've thought about what it means to wait, whether we've been waiting for Christmas Day to open gifts, whether we've been waiting for a new year with new possibilities and new things to happen. But I don't think we've been waiting in the sense that Green describes it, not with collective dismay, but rather, I trust, with expectant hope. In the reading that Chris has just shared with us, we see and we meet Simeon and Anna. They're described as waiting for consolation. That's what it says in in verse 25. Waiting to receive comfort in the wake of loss or disappointment. And this idea of consolation within the context of the passage just gives us a few, I think, important lessons to learn. Let me just share these with you before we share communion. Firstly this. Consolation meets us in our powerlessness. There's a couple of things I think that really stand out about these characters. Firstly, we notice that they were faithful in their worship. Simeon's described as being righteous and devout in verse 25. Luke introduces Anna as a prophet. And that simply means, as Daniel Darling in his book states, she was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. And the second, perhaps more mundane observation is that both Anna and Simeon were most likely in advanced years. I have to be careful what I say, don't I, at this point? Because it depends where you want to sit, uh, old age or advanced years. There's no direct, of course, indication within the passage that, that Simeon actually is old, but it's assumed that he is. But we do know that Anna is. She is well beyond the average life expectancy in first century Israel. And whilst, of course, their age may seem to be a little bit incidental in the story, in truth, I think it serves to highlight something important. The fact that despite their lives of deep devotion to God, they can do nothing to lengthen the days of their life. Both are aware of their own fragility and their own ability, or their own inability to change it. In other words, they've reached the end of themselves. They've come to the point where they can do nothing more. But that's precisely when Christ turns up. I think that's a a wonderful thing for us to grab hold of. Grace often appears when all the resources that we have have been exhausted. It is then that perhaps we allow room for God's hand to be at work. It is then that Christ turns up. And maybe, as Chris has reminded us in his prayer, maybe that's what we're looking forward to, for Christ to turn up in the situations of our lives, in the situations where perhaps 
we've run out of resource. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Consolation is more about welcome than change. Luke introduces Simeon with a word that's most usually translated as waiting. It's the Greek word which is prostekomai. But it could be rendered as ready to receive to oneself. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That is the idea of just an eagerness within our own hearts and lives to welcome Christ. And that's the very emphasis which transforms the concept of waiting, of course, from being just that, that kind of impatience, endurance, that of standing in a long queue, to being that different thing which is active anticipation and hope. Simeon counted the days until God revealed himself. And Simeon gazes into the brand new eyes of the ancient of days. And Christ goes from being God with us to God with me. I think it's a wonderful personal moment, isn't it? Similarly, we read about Anna. She devoted herself. She's found in God's presence. She's been there for for decades. She's turned the grief of being a young widow into a dedicated pursuit of God through prayer. And waiting on the Lord is something that she does every single day of her life. Maybe that's a lesson too for us as we enter a new year to wait patiently for what God has to provide for us. And Simeon's own name provides a little clue. It provides a clue about how we ought to go about the task of waiting because his name derives from um, the word that means to hear intelligently. Maybe that's our experience too at times, but I'm sure more than often we hear half-heartedly. Sometimes we choose not to hear, don't we? Where conversations are being had, maybe in our prayer life as well, we choose not to hear. We are perhaps rather half-hearted hearers. Simeon, on the other hand, is described as somebody who deliberately listens to God, listens to his spirit. Look at what we said We read, he says that the Holy Spirit rested on him, the Holy Spirit revealed things to him, the Holy Spirit moved him. Intelligent listening, perhaps, is something that we need to be doing as we meet together as a community, as we spend time individually with God's word in prayer, as we perhaps spend time in our home groups, whatever it may be, intelligent listening to what God has to say to us is important. For Simeon, it led to obedience. Also, we learn this. Consolation overturns our expectations. I think the outcome of Simeon's listening is one of the most poignant scenes in Scripture. Simeon enters the temple. He discovers Mary and Joseph with their newborn. He picks up the baby in verse 28. And in doing so, I think that he has the sole distinction of being the only person in Scripture that we are explicitly told holds the Christ child in his hands, in his arms. And there's this striking visual, isn't there, I think. He doesn't just meet Jesus, but he receives him unto himself. We go from God with us to God with me. And comfort, I think, has no real meaning until it takes on real, concrete, personal dimensions. 
So nothing outwardly, of course, had changed in Simeon's life. Yet he now says to God that I can go. I can leave. I can leave in peace. That inner disquiet that he'd experienced was now diminished. Maybe we come this morning with that kind of inner disquiet. We need something of God's peace. You see, Simeon knew the consolation of Israel wasn't an event or a change. It's a person. And Anna similarly responds to Jesus in the same way. She recognizes God's redemption is at hand. A baby who couldn't even walk becomes the point of her praise. You know, I think more than often we're, we're tempted to put our trust in answers rather than in the one who gives the answers. Maybe as we enter a new year, we need to place our trust in the one who is able to answer all of our questions. You know, I think, and I'm probably not the only one who's guilty of this, but at times we pray very specific prayers, don't we? We use um, language that would perhaps, we would seek to encourage from God a very singular response. It's a response that we want. It's a response that we think will be adequate if God supplies it. But then when he doesn't do, of course we're disappointed. Those long periods of waiting then become periods of frustration. Meanwhile, Christ arrives in our distress, perhaps as wordlessly as a baby, bundled up in a form that we never imagined he would come to us. Lastly, consolation grows in the sharing. Anna makes a point of talking about Jesus to all who are waiting to hear good news. Did you see that? And again, Luke returns to that word, prostekamai. The people Anna speaks are marked as ready to receive the message. Anna doesn't just keep hold of the news to herself. She doesn't say, well, this is something exclusively for me. I've been waiting for this. This is just for me. But no, there's no possessive stinginess. There's no meanness in her desire to share the story and live the life. She just simply goes out and does it. She speaks to people. And as with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the good news of God always multiplies. It always expands to fill the space, and then there's more. And then there's more. Maybe that's what we are looking for in 2023. This morning, I think we're all part of Anna's audience. We're those who are looking for rescue. We're those who are looking for wrongs to be made right. We are those who are looking for suffering to end. We are those who want something different, who want to see justice in our world, something that seems to be so scarce. And Anna just joyfully points us towards the child. And she repeats the message. He's everything. He is our consolation. And as we learn, of course, from another prophet that we often quote when we get around Christmas, in Isaiah 9 and verse 7, there's no end to the increasing peace that he brings.